Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. How many of you have ever lived in a gated community? Anybody here ever lived in a gated community? Uh, we got a handful, handful of people out there who have. Yeah, I was going to go there. I was going to go there. I lived in a gated community. It was, uh, yeah, in the Navy. <laughs> They're gated communities, folks. I mean, you can come and go, but if you don't belong, you're not going to get in. Uh, was, were the K's at one time a gated community? They were never a gated community. There is a gated community within the K's. One of the villages is locked. I didn't know that. I've been here for how long? I read a book one time, and it talked about the K's being a gated community. And so I wondered if in the beginning it was. Uh, it was. Anyway, people put gates on their communities for a reason, right? They want to keep the riffraff out, keep the good, good, good people in. Bible talks about gated communities, two in particular, heaven and hell. Yeah, gated communities. Uh, pearly gates, we all know about the, about the pearly gates. There's a, there's a uh, uh, well, I'm not going to tell it, never mind. Yeah. I'm learning, Jan. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, pearly gates. And, and also, you, you remember when uh, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they start throwing out answers. And, but then he says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says, you know what, Peter, you didn't figure that out on your own. Uh, but upon this rock, I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus talks about gates. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. And we have to see this narrative, this conversation between, uh, uh, between Jesus and his, and his disciples, and there's some Pharisees that are in there as well, following chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind. And, and the, the closing uh, verses of that ninth chapter, uh, Jesus says, for this, uh, for this reason I have come into the world <coughs> so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, well, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. I tell you the truth, chapter 10. I tell you the truth. The one who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, 
for his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, my father loves me, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews again were divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It's, it's, it takes some imagination for us to kind of work through this and, and, uh, uh, and understand the parable, not the parable, but, but the narrative that Jesus is, is sharing with those who are listening. Because, I mean, when was the last time you spent any time with a bunch of sheep? You know, the sheep are, uh, are not really smart animals. Uh, uh, they need to be told to lie down. They need to be told to drink water. Their legs are a little wobbly if they fall over the center mass. Sometimes they need help getting back up. Uh, and they do have a tendency to stray, so they need a good shepherd. And Jesus identifies himself as that good shepherd. As we've talked about the Gospel of John seven times, seven times Jesus uses I am statements, reflective of that conversation between Moses 
and the Lord at the foot of the, at that, at the mountain at the foot of the burning bush. When Moses asks, who shall I tell them sent me? You tell them I am. I am who I am has sent you. So as Jesus uses this language, I am, over and over again, he is communicating very clearly that he and the Father are one. That Jesus is who he claimed to be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came to show us how to live in a right relationship with one another and with God. Jesus came to fulfill the law and to call us into a, a gated community, if you, are, if you will, where we live out those ethics punctuated with grace. And then to share that with others. Two of those seven I am statements are found in this section. I am the gate. And I am the good shepherd. Sometimes we are, as, as Christians, we are accused of being too narrow-minded and intolerant to say that there is only one way to reach God. And if there were multiple ways to reach God, that surely could be the case. But I take Jesus at his word when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And those statements are made very, very clear in this passage as well. That Jesus is the gate. He is the way. And that he is also the good shepherd. I love this. This part where he talks about I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. So back in the day, not everybody could afford a, a, a sheep pen, so they would build one big sheep pen, and uh, all the shepherds would bring their sheep to that pen at the end of the day. And then they would hire a guard to stand out in front. And, and then, but all the, there were four or five flocks that would be within this sheep pen. And uh, the, the next day, the shepherds would come in and they would start talking to their sheep and say, okay, boys and girls, it's time. Let's go out and find pasture. Follow me. And the sheep would follow the voice of their shepherd. So the, the hireling at the gate didn't have to figure out who, whose sheep belonged to whom. They knew the voice of their shepherd, and they followed it. Do we know the voice of our shepherd? He leads us, but where is he leading us? Why do we go in and out of this pen? It would seem like if, if, if we were safely uh, es ensconced within the pen and we had the good shepherd watching over us, that we would never want to leave. And 
to be sure, there are Christian communities out there that are like that. They, they, they kind of circle the wagon and they've got an us-them mentality. And, and oh my gosh, everything that, everything that you want to do, you can do within this community of faith. And we don't have to interact with the world in any way, shape, or form. I mean, they've got, there, there, are, there are some uh, churches that are, that are so big that they, they, offer, they offer programs for everybody. There, there's, there's athletic programs and there's hobby programs and there's dinner programs. And I mean, it just goes on and on. And of course, there's Bible study. We've got to keep uh, feeding on the word. But your entire life, outside of, of what you do for a living uh, can be consumed with your church community. Isn't that wonderful? Except when do you interact with the rest of the world? While you're at work? Oh, heaven forbid you should talk about your faith at work. Today, in some places, that'll get you fired. So you go to work, you keep your mouth shut, you do your job, so that you can safely get back to the pen where you are loved, where you are understood, hopefully where you are given grace and mercy. But is that really what the Lord is calling us to do? You know, there are some people that would like us to go inside that pen, to go inside that gate, and then they would like to lock it. so that we don't go out into the world and share our fanatical ideas. And what are those fanatical ideas? I mean, a generation ago, uh, our parents, our grandparents, would have been shocked to hear what passes as fanatical ideas today. A fanatical idea today is that a man and a woman should get married before they have kids. And that a man should be a strong father to his children. And that they, that they should be brought up and taught how to respect people, how to live lives of integrity, how to, how to work hard and render an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And to celebrate the good things in life. Those are, those are old-fashioned views today. We live in a society where all that is being re rewritten. We've rewritten what family is. Now family can be anything, anyone, anywhere. Now, there's a sense in which, I, I get that, because we are a family. As a community of faith, we are a family of faith. I get that. But marriage now is something else. It's whatever you want it to be. And I've long said that as the marriage goes, so goes the family. And as the family goes, so goes the church. And as the church goes, so goes the society. We have a sitting Supreme Court justice 
who in confirmation hearings was asked a question, can you tell me what a woman is? And she either could not or would not. And her defense was that I can't answer that question because I'm not a biologist. If you haven't seen it, there is a documentary out there by Matt Walsh called What is a Woman? It's, It's funny, it's humorous, it's devastating. It's a little over an hour long. He finally comes home and he asks his wife, dear, I've been asked, I have a question. I've been, I need to ask you this question. Uh, I've been on a quest. Nobody, nobody wants to answer this question. Can you tell me what is a woman? And she says, a woman is an adult female human being. Who needs help opening this jar, please? (laughs) The challenges around us are significant today. One of the one of the things that uh, that happens in sports is is that at, at the higher levels of competition, they start testing the athletes. Why? to make sure that they're not using performance-enhancing drugs. That's not fair. And yet we have a major university in our country today who has a man who has transitioned into a woman on their swim team who is taking all of the first place in every race they participate in. The effect of that is is going to be to destroy women's sports. They cannot compete. There's a difference between men and women. For years and years and years, we've been told that people of faith are, if you have, if uh, if it's not faith, if uh, not science, it's, how's that go? If it's not science, it's nonsense. Non-science is nonsense. Follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. Okay, I'm willing to follow the science. DNA is pretty clear. There's two chromosomes, XX or XY. And, 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 and if it was stuck at the university level, that would be, that would be fine. But it's not. It's infiltrated down into, into families, in, into, into families in our, in our very midst. And how do we respond? On the macro, we respond one way. On the micro, we respond a whole other way. On the micro level, we respond with grace. We respond with love. There are people out there who are hurting. I get that. I know these people. And I grieve with them and for them. On a micro level, we come alongside. 
and we support and encourage and we love. But on a macro level, we take a stand and speak truth and say, this is nonsense. This isn't what it's supposed to be. I think there's, what we're doing to children today is criminal. And we don't want to say anything because we might not be liked for it. I just finished a book by Eric Metaxas called Letter to the American Church. And really, it's a letter to the American church pastors. And, and he draws parallels between the church in America today and the church in Germany in the 30s. And there were about 18,000 pastors in Germany. 3,000 of those pastors were supportive of what the state was doing. 3,000 of those pastors signed a declaration called the Barman Declaration and became known as the Confessing Church Movement. Everyone who signed that document paid for their life with the exception of one. And that was Karl Barth, and that's because he was Swiss, didn't live in Germany. 12,000 did nothing because they couldn't imagine what was coming. Eric Metaxas says, today in the American church, people are not hearing the gospel. They're hearing about therapeutic deism, which pastor comes out and says, hey, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have a good life. He just wants you to love everybody and be loved back and all is going to be great. Truth and love go hand in hand. It's like two stirrups on a saddle. If you, too much, if you put too much pressure on either side, you're going to fall off. Truth without love is crushing. But love without truth is deceptive. We have to balance those two together. And to be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is within us, but with gentleness and respect. And we haven't done a good job of that. The church as a whole, you guys are doing great. <clears throat> but we're days away from an election. And, 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 and there are four seats on the school board that are up for grabs. Who are you going to vote for? The Johnson Act prevents me from standing here on a Sunday morning and telling you who I think I'm going to vote for. And whether or not you're going to vote for that person is up to you. But of course, as I said in my prayer, my hope and prayer is that everyone votes with the knowledge of the issues and the candidates and a, and a conscience that is held captive to the word of God. There is a concerted effort to fundamentally change America. 
The America of today is not the America that I grew up in. And you know what? The, the America that I grew up in was no piece of cake. The, the, every era has its own challenges. And we are called to understand our times. Jody just finished a book by a man named Carl Truman called Strange World, Strange New World. Uh, and she says it is an amazing book that connects a lot of dots. I read the preface and the, uh, the foreword and the, and the first chapter. And before, before we can begin to change our times, we need to understand our times. And so I'm, I'm thinking of putting together a book study. And again, I'll put this in the Word on Wednesday. If you're interested in being a part of this book study so that you can understand our times, and it's, it's, a, it's a short book, but, it, but it's a thoughtfully written book that requires some thinking. Our times require us to think. Our shepherd is leading us into the community to do what? To speak truth, but to speak it in love. But in order to do that, we need to understand our times. How many of you have ever heard of the Frankfurt School? Two, three, here we go. Three people. Now, what's going on today is a direct result of that school. And you could Google it on your own time. I'm running out of time here. We are a part of God's fold. We are the sheep of his pasture. If John's gospel has taught us anything, Jesus did not hold back from speaking truth to power. We talk about freedom being a universal value. It is not. Power is the universal value. And there is a power grab going on to fundamentally change the nation we live in. Some have said we've already crossed the point. There is no going back. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. The nation is divided. So is the church. The church is divided. Do you know there were churches in Germany in the early 30s that actually flew the swastika in their sanctuaries? They wanted to be supportive of the state. Because we are told that we are to respect those in authority, that we are to pray for them. That God has established the state by his decree. Does that mean we should never speak to power with truth in love? Of course not. We need to be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. We need to be able to understand the difference between how we respond on the micro with grace and forgiveness, mercy, and how we respond in the macro 
Jesus has given us the words of life. And he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. 10.10 in John's gospel is one of my favorite verses. He came, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest, have it abundantly. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am your good shepherd and I will lead but you need to recognize my voice. And when you recognize my voice, you need to follow. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. In Sunday school classroom, uh, the teacher asked the kids if they knew the 23rd Psalm, and one little girl held up her hand and says, I know the 23rd Psalm. And so, Uh, She invited the child to come up to recite the 23rd Psalm for the class. And she stood up there and she says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. And then she sat down. (laughs) The wisdom of children. Is the Lord our shepherd? Do we recognize his voice? It's critical. Uh, If you are interested in gathering with a group of people to kind of unpack the ballot and the candidates, let me know. We can put that together. If you're interested in a study of a book that will help connect the dots to help us to understand our times, let me know. I'll put it together. This is a time to stand firm and to speak truth in love. They say that every election is the most important election in our lives. I get tired of hearing that. I think every opportunity we have to cast a vote is a gift from God, and we need to do it responsibly. Let's be responsible together as we follow the voice of our shepherd. I'm not him. I'm a a hireling. And you can't put too much faith in me. Somebody else is going to come. And they're going to lead you as a hireling. But don't forget that the one that you truly follow is Jesus. Now and forevermore. Amen.